Welcome to the Freelance Revolution Podcast. I'm Leah. And I'm Sarah. We're both seasoned freelancers running successful businesses that allow us the flexibility to live the lives that we want. We do different work as freelancers, we find our clients in different ways, and we have different business models. The one thing that unites us is a passion for helping others work on their own terms. We're not here to give you a silver bullet or sugarcoat the work it takes to develop and run a successful business. We're here to guide you through the journey we've already taken, bust common myths about the freelance lifestyle, and give you the support you need to keep going when things get tough. The Freelance Revolution Podcast is brought to you by Freelancers Aligned, our free community for freelancers and solopreneurs. Our members get live access to our podcast recording each month and exclusive access to submit questions to the Q&A portion at the end. Did we mention that membership is free? Go to freelancersaligned.com to learn more and sign up. So hi, everyone. Um, We have our uh, special guest, um, John Younger, with us today, um, who's going to be talking to us about uh, the freelance revolution and the future of freelancing. Um, we put, we sent out like a really quick bio about you, John, that, um, I pulled from your Forbes profile. Um, but maybe we, we want to start off with just like telling us a little bit about yourself and kind of like how you got here and what you focus on and what you do. The, um, I, I have recently heard the very best introduction ever given about a person. Have, have you guys, and Sarah, and you and, and Leah are here. I don't know who else is here, but hello, I'm John Younger. And, and I, I don't know if you've seen Tick, Tick, Boom, the Jonathan Larson bio with, with Andrew Garfield. I haven't. It is wonderful. And if you like Rent, this is the predecessor uh, musical that led to Rent. So it's fantastic. And he's asked in some party to describe himself, and he goes, I'm the future of American musical theater. Ta-da. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could ask that way, you could respond that way when asked as simply and clearly as that? I am not the future of the freelance revolution. I'm not the past of the revolution either. But I'm somebody who spent an awful lot of time watching it from close up and writing about it in as many different interesting ways as I could think. And so I write a whole bunch of stuff. So once a month, I, I ask for quotes from a community like yours, ask people what are the joys and challenges of being a freelancer, and it goes up on Forbes. And not only do people get to hear what real people are saying about real freelancing, is that these folks get a chance for their 15 minutes of fame to be up in Forbes, which is wonderful, how wonderful it is to be able to give people that chance. Another time, a, 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 in a month, I'll share some data. So it'll be data about something that's growing in freelancing or what it means to be a, a, a gender male, what it means to be unsure from a gender perspective to be in freelancing, just how that affects things. One time in a month, I'll write a profile about a really interesting new platform. And, and that's sort of the way it is. You know, Forbes has given me a chance to tell these stories. And so I get paid $250 a month if I write a story a week, normally 800 to 1,200 words. And I love getting paid $250 a month. I just absolutely adore it. 
because I feel like I've done some good in the world and I've done some good for my family at the same time. So that's me, Sarah and, and Leah. I, I write these days and I'm glad to talk later on if it's helpful to talk about what I was doing before I started writing about this stuff. But that's kind of me in the nutshell. Yeah, that's super helpful. And why don't why don't we go ahead and go there real quick? What did you do before you sure. um, started writing about freelancing? I, I was a prof uh, and uh, taught at places like the University of Toronto, University of Michigan. Uh, it did some stuff at Copenhagen Business School and um, one other. I don't remember. So a prof for a while. Um, I. I helped to build a, a number of businesses. Two of them went public, became public companies. Uh, I, I have written five books. Um, I live in New York with my very favorite person in the entire world, Carolyn Younger. And we have uh, two sons and uh, each son has two sons with their partner. Uh, so we're, we're about able to field a competitive basketball game. <laughs> but the kids are gonna have to grow a little bit more before we get that started yeah so that's the longer that's the longer me no that's it's always helpful um leah and i talk a lot on these podcasts about um our families and how that impacts our freelancing and so i think that that kind of context is always helpful I, I um myself as a full-time grandfather a full-time husband and a part-time everything else yep I like it. I think, I think we are of, of similar, <laughs> we have similar um, job responsibilities and uh, percentages, I would say. <laughs> Very cool. Um, so uh, John writes a lot about the freelance revolution, which is how we came across his work. And John, we post a lot of your articles in our, um, our member Facebook group, just to kind of keep Thank everyone you. in the loop. I think we are um, always trying to pull things about um, freelancing in the news and making sure people are kind of on top of um, upcoming trends. And I think your articles are probably consistently at least in there once a month. Um, no, five, five a month, <laughs> literally five a month. Oh yeah. And um, we, so we have some questions that we've um, written out based on some of your more recent articles that we've read and um just to like tee this up a little bit we had a conversation on our a, a couple weeks ago we recorded an episode about the freelance revolution or about the future of freelancing okay. um i think there's been a lot coming out lately i mean we've all been watching the great resignation happening there have been a couple of new reports coming out more in the last few months from um, places like Upwork about what the future of freelancing looks like. Um, and so we've been keeping an eye on that, as I know you are too, and um, have just been um, drafting some things that we'd love to get your take on um, about the freelance, the future of freelancing and the freelance revolution more broadly. Um, so the um, we actually talked about your, one of, the um, research efforts that I know you were involved in was the global survey on freelancing. And yes. I was lucky enough to hear you talk about that with um, the folks of the Indie List um, yes. several months ago. And um, so we actually talked specifically about that and um, on our podcast in episode six, we talked about some of your findings there. But um, just a few questions about that for you is what was the most, I know that that report that came out was, um, 
vast. <laughs> There's a lot of good info. Oh, a lot going on. A lot going yeah, on. a lot going on. What do you think was the most interesting thing that you learned from that that research effort in particular? Oh, um, you know, I love all my children. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to do that. But but um, I'll talk about two or three that I found particularly interesting, if I may. Uh, one of them is that, uh, at least if I remember the data correctly, freelancers in general don't feel that they're as good at networking and keeping in touch with businesses and representing themselves and representing themselves as as they'd like to be. It, you know, you sort of, you, you get this sense of a whole bunch of people are kind of just right of center on introversion rather than extroversion, right? Here's the problem with respect to that. At the end of the day, many of those people are joining communities or platforms or, or, or agencies, and they're expecting that the platform will just give them work. And they're frustrated because platforms only provide work for 10 or 20 percent uh, of, of the people on them. So one of the things that we've got to do is we've got to help freelancers understand that at the end of the day, they're not just freelancers, they're also small business owners. And they've got to do all of the things that small businesses do. And I use the example of the bodega the, 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 um, in Brooklyn. I, I live in Manhattan, but one of, our, one of our sons lives in Brooklyn. And down the block is a bodega. Bodega is, is, a, um, is a deli, essentially a small deli. It sells a lot of stuff. And I guess it originally had Hispanic roots or something like that. Uh, They've got to do all the things that IBM does, all of the things that Apple does. They've got to advertise in some way. They've got to manage correctly. They've got to stay in control of their costs. They've got to be nice to customers. They've got to decide what products to offer, et cetera, et cetera. We have the same problem. And the challenge is if we're not that good at networking, if we're not good at presenting ourselves, if we don't feel really comfortable selling, if all we want to do is deliver, we're counting on somebody else to control our numerator. Mm -hmm. And that's not a smart thing. So that's the first thing. We all got to understand that we're in the business of small business. My mm -hmm. daughter-in-law is an independent lawyer and, and uh, independent attorney and very good one. And we had a conversation once when she left her firm. And she's very well respected. And I said, you know, you feel like a freelancer now. And she said, I'm not a freelancer. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, I'm a small business owner. She's right. So that's the first thing for us. Second thing for us is we've got to teach uh, clients how to be better clients. Because mm -hmm. according to the data from the survey, about 45% of the freelancers that answered the survey thought that people did a good job of, thought that their clients were good at working with freelancers. Well, that's not so good. That 45% less than 50%, 50% isn't so good. So Sarah and Leah, you've got that problem. And then if you cut the data, you start to see that different segments of the economy and different geographies are better or worse than the 45%. So if you're a freelancer in the US in tech, in general, your clients kind of know what's going on. If, if you are an independent management consultant in Africa, you're much more frustrated by those clients while at the same time more dependent on them. Mm -hmm. so what does it mean if they're not very good at working with, with, with freelancers? Well, you know, for us, time is money. I mean, we're not getting a salary plus bonus. 
So if we've got to spend a whole bunch of time before we ever get a contract written, that's dead time for us. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's not a good thing. So clients that stretch us out or, or have misgivings or have, want to have that fifth conversation on exactly how it would work, in other words, want to reduce their, their risk to nothing by handing all of the risk to freelancers, we've got to do a better job as individuals and as platforms or as communities and saying that's not good enough. That's not acceptable. You're wasting our time and you know you are. The, 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 the kind of internal stuff that they've got to do, if you're a non-for-profit or a government agency, freelancers in our survey say you do a better job of working with us than corporations. You don't take us as seriously. You don't think our time is valuable. You don't have well well-trained project managers who know how to work with freelancers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess that's the second. We've got a job to do in terms of making sure that our clients deserve us. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that in an arrogant way. I mean that I'm a businessman. I expect them to be business people too. And I expect that mutual respect. And that's the, I guess, the third thing that I would take away from the data is that um, we're not good at using data. Let me give you an example of what I mean. Because individually in our professions, we're probably great at it. But, but if, I were to, if I were to go to the typical platform, the freelance platform, and say, what are the categories of, or characteristics of clients that tend to be more difficult to work with than others? even though they've got thousands of data points around clients by category, by difficulty, by pay, by all that stuff, they're not analytical. They are transactional entities. And that's, that's a problem because we've got to get smarter about that stuff because the only reason why somebody is joining a platform is, is in the belief that they'll get more help than they would by themselves. Mm -hmm. But if they're not getting more help than they would by themselves and they're paying a subscription fee on top of that, that's not very good. Yeah. So those are three examples of what we learned. That's super interesting. Um, Leah, sorry, I felt like maybe you're gonna say something. Oh, yeah. So I was just gonna say like, I felt all of those things and it, it's so true. So like I've, I've felt those, but it's backed up now by data yeah. to just, explain it. And I feel like data speaks louder than a freelancer's like, you know, this is, I always go back to, this is what it looks like to work with me to prove my credibility. But it's like, this is why, you know, like it just proves that. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 I'll say one other thing, Leah, and, and, and I'm not sure this came out, you know, in that in that bluntly a, a, a way, but here's what I read in between the lines in a lot of ways. There are a lot of people who have left um, high paying jobs, impressive titles, uh, big well-respected companies to go into freelancing. And, and, and there is a, there, there's a kind of process that people need to go through or they're gonna be in trouble. They've got to let go of the things that they thought were about them that were in fact a reflection of their employer or their title or where they mm. live. Mm -hmm. You see this in particular when people leave advertising firms 
when mm-hmm. people lead to go into marketing or just, you know, marketing strategy type stuff, we see it a lot with management consultants who leave a partnership at a Bain or BCG. And, and all of a sudden they're not getting the rates that they thought that they used to get. They're not getting a first class ticket on an airplane to travel wherever the hell they're going. They don't get a hotel suite in the five-star hotel. They don't get the limos and they, and they go, well, freelancing sucks. It's not that freelancing sucks. It's, it's that a whole lot of what you got paid for had nothing to do with you. <laughs> had to do with two things. One is you were part of a big organization and therefore replaceable, but at the same time certified. And second, you were staying in that five-star hotel because nobody ever got fired hiring McKinsey. Mm-hmm. So listen, Jack, or Jill, as the case may be, um, you've got to get on with the reality of being a solo now. Mm-hmm. That's why it's mm-hmm. called solopreneur. And you've got to get comfortable with the idea that that you're making this or not on your own rather than benefiting from the shadow of a larger, more global, more prestigious organization. And that's a tough thing for an awful lot of people. The onboarding is not just, you know, creating a good profile and a good CV and a good headshot. Onboarding is about getting your head screwed on right in terms of what it means to be a freelancer. And one of the things that we, we really recommend, one of the things I recommend, we were just talking about this today with somebody, is it makes an awful lot of sense to do a part-time side gig first before you jump headlong. Because it really is cold water for an awful lot of people. Yeah. And learning how to, learning how to be a freelancer is something that takes a little while and takes a little adjustment. And if you're able to start a side gig, and get used to some of that stuff, it will help you a lot when you're ready, if you're ready to make a full transition. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I totally agree with that. Yeah. Carry on. Sorry, I felt like I kept yeah. interrupting you, Leah. Yeah. Um, I think, no, I think, John, that makes a lot, that resonates with us a lot, as Leah said. I think that, um, like I, I think we we like told you before the coming onto the podcast, but Leah and I get our work and we do completely different things. We get our work in completely different ways. So Leah gets the vast majority of her work from Upwork. So she's like a more of a platform specific freelancer, and she also um, coaches and teaches other people how to succeed on Upwork. And I get all of my um, clientele through networking and referrals. Um, and have like never actually been on a platform at all. And so um, we bring these like very different perspectives. Wonderful. I, what a great combo. Yeah. We, I mean, we hope we like to think so. Um, <laughs> um, I had a mentor who used to say that a, a team of two like-minded people is probably overstaffed. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think it's wonderful that you bring different ways of thinking about it, different approaches and different skills. Yeah. Part of this is, is, is that I would be, I would be more on Leia's side than yours, Sarah. I, I spent, I I was in and out of businesses where I had some responsibility, but I, you know, if I think about my consulting careers, um, I, I, 
my marketing strategy was picking up the phone. But if I'm really honest, um, and platforms didn't exist at that time, so, but w there were two of us. One of us was really good at generating leads. I was really good at closing. Mm -hmm. So if, if you were to put me in charge of, of sort of sort of speculative marketing, speculative sales, I would I would crash and burn in a second. I wouldn't even know how the hell to start to do that. And then I wouldn't want to do it. I don't like the phone. So, you know, I mean, you guys are a wonderful combination and I have lived in a similar kind of combination and I know how powerful it can be. Yeah, it's um we we think that it offers I mean we hope that it's offering our our audience and our community like kind of a broader view of freelancing and I think we also um I mean I think it it gives both of us a different perspective on all kinds of things from client management to rates to how um non-billable like admin type of work and stuff like that impacts freelancers because you know Leah doesn't Leah does her billing in a very different way than I do my billing because right. Upwork does it um right. and there's totally pros and we we've talked about the pros and cons to both um in in a couple of our episodes and I think something that you said that really resonated with me about um the like the cold water of diving headfirst into freelancing is that um we talk a lot to our audience about um about what freelancing gives you and why you decide to do it. Um, and for us, I think that's like the most important factor. And the one thing that we think is important, but should never be the most important thing is the money. Because ultimately, I mean, not that you can't make great money freelancing. I think we would honestly say that both of us make better money now than we ever had working for someone else. But um that's not what like that's not what drives us at the end of the day and when either one of us get an offer of like a normal job from someone it's not the money that makes us stay as freelancers sure. um and so i think that that's just like it's interesting about what you said because i think when we find a lot of people who go out um and i i would say like from my perspective perspective even on that higher end like you're talking about like people who are coming from large consulting practices or very high level positions that go into freelancing if it's just about the money you're not going to last very long <laughs> because it's not there's got to be other things that are driving you um for us i think a lot of it is about like autonomy um but i think that's um just something that i was thinking about based on what you were saying from about the and i'll i'll build on what you said the, the, i'm an old consultant so i i like um alliteration you know it's kind of like you can come up with an anagram or alliteration something that rhymes people like it because they remember it there are three a's in the freelance revolution and you hit the first one which is autonomy so one of the things that people in general want is they want more choice they want more flexibility they want more individual logic to drive when they work how they work where they work one of the things that we write about a lot these days is that um, organizations have to kind of get with the present, not even get with the future, mm -hmm. but get with the present. The present, we're not in the, the 19th century. This isn't the in industrial revolution. We don't need to live near our machines. I mean, that's not this world. We are completely untethered from the location of our work. Think about that for a minute. 
We are, we are technologically disconnected, if we choose, mm -hmm. from, from the location of our work, which actually does a whole bunch of really interesting things. But one of the things that it does is it gives us enormous freedom. Why, why can't I do my work between one in the morning and seven in the morning and send it in? Because at the end of the day, what, what we had was a five o'clock deadline anyways. I'm just going to get mine in early. Mm -hmm. Well, we were hoping to have two or three meetings about that. Well, tell me what it is that you wanted me to meet about, and I'll make sure it's in my draft. So, so part of this is un autonomy, as you just said, and it's, it's in, in a variety of ways. Second is agency. I want more impact. I don't want to do stuff that's stupid. I don't want to, my wife has, my wife has this wonderful t-shirt that's, it's about chocolate. I think, I think it goes, chocolate doesn't ask stupid questions. Chocolate understands. Mm. She's a chocoholic, as you can imagine. But it is amazing, you know, how much we are, we are not able to get done in the ways in which we've traditionally managed work. The data says that the average person is productive for less than four hours in a working day. Mm -hmm. By the way, this is in the U.S. where the working day is nine hours, not eight hours. Remember, we're all cheating around that stuff anyway. Yeah. So, so I'm working basically, I'm productive a third of the time. One of the things we hear from freelancers is when they're able to connect autonomy with remote or at least hybrid, their productivity goes up. You know what? They feel better because their productivity goes up. Not because they feel you know taken advantage of, but because they feel as though they're having impact on their life and on the lives of other people that they care about, the work that they, they believe is important. Third, so the first autonomy, second is agency. Third is affiliation. And, and one of the things that we know is that people want to affiliate with whom they want to affiliate. And, and the world has gotten quite a bit larger. I mean, I before I talked with you, Today, I was on the phone with Pennsylvania. I was on the phone with Florida. I was on the phone with Germany. I was on the phone with London. I, and, and I'm not a strange and unusual fellow. People are doing that sort of things all the time. I, I want to feel a part of the community that I want to feel a part of. And freelancers are saying they want to feel part of a freelance community. They want to feel part of not only what's going on within their orbit, but what's going on in the orbits of others that are that are doing like-minded things, interesting, similar work. So autonomy, agency, and affiliation. And if you think about it for a minute, why doesn't everybody want that? <laughs> why, why, mm -hmm. why is that unique to freelancers? I mean, that's kind of dumb. So I, I mean, I would argue that everyone does want that, and that's why we're seeing the great resignation happen. And I wouldn't call it a great resignation. I would like to call it a great awakening. Because I think that, that, that it's not that people are leaving, it's that they're coming. And I think that's powerful. Yeah. And, and if you think about, you know, what, 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 what's predisposing this, I would say that, that one of the most interesting precursors to this stuff, besides the fact that leaders have done some stupid things, there's been some corruption and ESG is a frustration and pay inequity makes us crazy. I, I would say that in addition to that, um, pe people have been doing side hustles. 40% of, 
American folks and millennial and Gen Z, 50% of Gen Zs and 45% of millennials have a sidekick. Mm -hmm. Now, what does it mean when they have a sidekick? Think about that for a minute. It's one step toward liberation. It's one step towards economic freedom. I now can see the possibility of supporting myself and getting some of the stuff that I'm not getting by working full-time in my organization. And so I think the reason I call it a great awakening rather than a great resignation is not because I'm a good copywriter, because I'm not a good copywriter, but it's because I think that these side hustles are wakening people up the possibility of a different life entirely rather than just a side hustle. Yeah. So I'm, yeah. I get excited about that stuff. And I know I talk too much, but I'm into this stuff. I apologize. <laughs> no. I mean, I think that um, th it makes us excited too. We've talked a lot about, you know, the quote unquote great resignation um, in, in, in several of our episodes. And um, for us, it, I think it feels very similar. We're kind of like, what took you so long? To right. figure out that this right. was right. Um, that this was an option because um, I think all of those things that you named those three A's are like totally reasons why both of us um, went out on our own. I mean, I think Leah's more of like a lifetime freelancer than I am. Like, I think she's been an entrepreneur. That happens. I mean, that happens all the time, right? And, yeah. and you may go from part, you may go from side gig to full time, and then back to side gig. Yeah. And yeah. then there's everything in between. And I'll give you an example. And I'm, I, I again, I'm unusual, right? Because I'm an old guy and stuff like that. So I had, I, I was a freelancer for six years uh, as the corporate senior vice president and chief talent learning, chief talent and learning. What is that called? Officer. Thank you. That was exactly the word I was thinking of. For the nation's fourth largest bank. I was half time. And my deal with them, and I had 350 people reporting to me. They were not half time, but I was. So, I mean, the world is wide open in terms of these possibilities. We talk about freelancing and, and we forget that sometimes freelancing is doing, you know, two weeks over here and getting a product out. And sometimes freelancing is being 25% fractional for the next five years. Yep. So there's a wide, wide, wide variety of what's happening in that world. And it's getting more and more interesting because technology is allowing us to make it more and more interesting. And we need to just take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. There are there are three reasons, according to the research, why why people hesitate to move into freelancing, though they'd like to. So when you ask a bunch of people, they kind of look wistful and say, gee, I wish I could. I want to be a Leia when I grow up, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, it seems like there are three things that people worry about. Number one is income volatility, right? So they're afraid that, you know, they've got mortgages to pay, they've got car payments to make, you know, they, they, they have an iPhone, which is an insane amount of money. They, you know, all that stuff. And they go, well, gee whiz, I need to know I've got money coming in every week. It's not that I'm laughing, it's not that I'm living paycheck to paycheck, but I'm close. And I don't have a lot of spare capacity. So one of the challenges for us in freelancing is how do we solve that? We can talk about that a little bit later. Second thing is, and it's not that they don't believe, by the way, that you make as much or more money in freelancing. 
It's that they believe, at, and it's accurately the case, that it's lumpy. That one month it may be gangbusters, and another month it may be, you know, crickets. Second is people miss the benefits. They miss the two weeks off. They miss the training. They miss the paid time off. You know, th that, kind of, that kind of stuff. And that's real. Because we remember that the, the typical burden, the typical benefit package for a professional in an organization is worth about a third of their salary. So you've got to add those two together to get a sense of the total, the total compensation. Plus, you know, we're not even including bonuses at that point. Mm -hmm. Third is fear of loneliness. And that's a real one. Yeah, I mean, people have to learn that they could get sucked into, you know, never leaving the house. I, I, um, I, I do this now, you know, I do what I do. And my deal is I'm at the gym five days a week in the afternoon. I stop. This is a very unusual thing. It's because you're two beautiful ladies that I'm doing this. But normally, normally I am done at one. I'm in the gym by two. I need that. It's a six block walk where I live in New York City. It's a six block walk to the gym. I need that walk to get rid of this. And then I need a, a good hour of exercise to get rid of that. And then walking back, I'm a new guy and I'm starting again. And, and it does multiple things. One is it just gets me out of the house. Second is, you know, I, I see people I know as I'm walking just as we all do. So, you know, when people say I'm a little nervous, it's usually one of those three or some combination of those three that, that are important. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I think the, lo like the loneliness definitely is something that Lee and I have talked about before and about ways to combat that. I think that looks pretty different for people who, um, imagine, being, imagine being a young mother. Imagine being the mother, well, my daughter-in-law, who I adore, um, I have two daughter-in-laws who I adore. One, one of them um, has a three-month-old and a guy that just turned three years old. I, I mean, these are my heart. And, and, and she's busy. I mean, <laughs> she's also a marketing professional. She's also a senior PR, you know, customer, whatever, manager. Of, of important clients. I don't know how she does it. And I think one of the ways that she does it is that she takes it out on her loneliness. Because it's, you know, it's really hard to get out, just literally get out of the house under those circumstances. So we've got some work to do. We've got a lot of work to do to create an environment that really supports this kind of stuff. Uh, where I live in New York, we're trying to get pre-K, but we need more than pre-K. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need, starting at six months of age, we need free childcare. Because right now, my kids are paying $25,000, $30,000 a year for childcare. Who can afford to pay that kind of dough? Yeah. And, and freelancers need, need some help around that stuff, as well as, you know, regular people need help yeah. around that stuff. We've got some work we've got to do as a as a country and as a world to make that stuff possible. Yeah, I mean you're you're talking to two people who have Leah has two kids. Um, I have one. Mine's much younger than Leah, so I'm like much closer to where your daughter-in-law is. Well, right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we've definitely um, we have struggled those same struggles. Of course you and, have. Of course yeah. You have. 
I think that, I mean, from my point of view, and I, I'll let like Leah speak for herself too, but um, I'm not sure that I would, I became a freelancer before I had my daughter and I have no idea how I would do it if I work for someone else, because just like the constraints on your time, the lack of flexibility, having to not work at home, which it is or is not true for everyone that works for someone else. But, um, there's no way that I would be able to, um, like be a good parent and like keep my sanity if I had the constraints on my time that I did when I worked for other people. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Leah, I know that yours is different because your kiddos are a lot older. Yeah. I had two different jobs while I was raising kids really young. Um, one, I did daycare. So I was constantly locked in my house with all of these That's screaming exactly, little children. Exactly. Um, that was, that was insane. It was insane. It was for a season. I look back and I'm like, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Um, but then we survived. We all survived. They're all alive. They, you know, didn't They're have all alive. catastrophes. They're all, all alive and well and all mm-hmm. that. And then I moved into a business that required a ton of night and weekends. And as my kids got older, my kids, like no matter what I've done since I've had kids, they've been my hundred percent. Like they've been the number one thing in my life. Sure. And so creating a life around like what lines up with that is, you know, being there for them. So when they started getting active, the nights and weekends long-term was not what I wanted to do. I didn't want to miss out on their sports activities. I didn't want to miss out on, you know, saying good night to them, all those different things. Sure. Um, so I had to look at for something different. So I went seeking something different. And the top two things was, I don't want to have to weigh the pros and cons of if I can purchase this, like, is this a want or a need? I, if I want it, I want to be able to make sure that I can responsibly afford it. And two, like, I want to be able to work when I want, how I want and where I want, you know, we, we go on several vacations in the summer and yes, mom's doing some work, you know, they're in the pool and that's totally fine because most kids, they look forward to one vacation a year where my kids get multiple vacations a year, you know, so it's that give and take. But what they're also seeing is the lifestyle of mom being present, but also juggling and, you know, all of those adult responsibilities too. I, I, um, I, I think, I think that as, as we get smarter about, uh, remote, as we get smarter about hybrid, as we get smarter about the freedoms, but also the constraints the technology places on us. I, I think we're going to get smarter about how to help one another mm-hmm. in, in these areas. What my, the dilemma right now is, is that every, not only are you guys figuring it out in a way that makes it work for each of you, but differently, everybody else is doing it differently. <laughs> And, and, you know, sometimes doing it together, working together to get it done makes more sense. And so one of the things you sort of hope is that out of these, out of these platforms, um, you, you want them to become increasingly, if I were to use Upwork as an example, Upwork's not a great example of this particularly, but it's a nice organization and I like those guys. There are, there are a whole bunch of platforms that are starting to think 
the term is glocal, right? Local and global at the same time. So what does glocal look like? And one version of glocal is it's a meetup, right? TopTal is a tech, is a, a tech uh, freelance firm. It has people in lots of different places. One of the places where it has lots of people is Croatia. And so they, they sort of do a monthly meetup for people in, in major cities in Croatia. Makes sense, right? You, you can hope that at some point they start to get even more creative and they say, maybe there's an opportunity to work together around childcare. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's an opportunity to work together around a, a you know, sort of a meeting place. Maybe we, we don't all need a, a conference room, but maybe we could share a conference room at a local meetup. Meet you know. I mean, there are just so many things we can start to do once we start to realize that it's inefficient for each of us to have a solution that works for the moment, but could work for more of us. Mm -hmm. And I hope we'll get smarter around that. I, I believe deeply that one of our challenges as a freelance community, whatever that unit is, is to create an ecosystem of support around it. Because I think it does take a village. I think Hillary was right. You know, I think you need a whole lot of resources to make it work. And yeah. right now, everybody's sort of figuring it out on their own. We could help each other. Yeah. I mean, that's like, um, that's actually a perfect segue to a question that I want to make sure we ask you. Sure. I know we have about 15 minutes left. Sure. Um, is that, so I know you write a lot about platforms. Obviously, that's not the only thing that you write about. But um, one of your more, one of your more recent articles was about um, bringing business education to freelancers. Yes. And you talked a lot in that article about things that platforms are doing, which I think, as you can probably imagine from our partnership, we are platform agnostic. Like I've never worked on a platform, but I also see the power in flat platforms. Leah works almost exclusively on a platform and also sees the power of, you know, sure. however you want to call it, doing uh, freelancing your freelancing, if you will. <laughs> and, um, but I think one of the things that we've been reflecting on, and that's like the main reason we started the community that we run for freelancers is exactly what you're saying. We want to make sure that there's a place where um, freelancers, especially independent freelancers that may not have the benefits of a platform and a, and a community in that respect, have a place to go where you're not feeling alone, um, not reinventing the wheel, not trying to do everything yourself. And I'm curious, so Leah and I both like on the, on the topic of education for freelancers and teaching freelancers how to freelance or how to be better, how to like level up if you're an experienced freelancer um, is something that like Leah both, Leah and I both do in terms of we both have courses, we both do coaching, we do all that kind of stuff. Yes. I'm curious about how you see the role of like freelancer run organizations um, sort of like similar to the one we run, but also another good example is Freelancers um, Union. They do all kinds of amazing um, advocacy. They In New York, they also had like an in-person space. I think it's maybe on pause because of the pandemic, but um, I think some part of what we see is the power of um, people like us, Freelancers Union and organizations like that is that it's um, free, a freelancer to freelancer solution where it's like people who are like in Lee and I spend 90% of our time working with clients. So like this definitely, this kind of stuff is definitely our side hustle, but that's important to us because 
we firmly believe that it's better to teach people how to do something that you're like actively doing and know how to do every day. Um, and so I'm curious about how you see the role of like freelancer run organizations like ours or freelancers union in combination or partnership with some of um, these platforms who are also trying to do similar things around educating and supporting their freelancers. Um, and if and if you're seeing any of those kind of partnerships happen, I'm just curious about um, how they're thinking about like their content, their support and how they're tapping into their like freelancer um, community to be able to do that. Sure. You know, most of the most most of the education that's provided within pro. Let me let me take a step back, step back. There are a bunch of different ways to get educated about freelancing. So let's start there. So one one way to do that is to join a platform. You get on board, and they some of them have have webinars. Some of them have blogs that you can read. Some of them actually have uh, community members that can help them that are sort of assigned to them for a period, where, where sort of to help them to get their way around. Uh, some. Some are small enough platforms so that they get people much more deeply involved than, than, than other much larger ones. So size is a factor. Some of these things are way international, way global. And so you know the, the technology varies in terms of how they do that stuff. Some do it at big scale. Some people do it in a more personal way. So that's the first. I, I, I think the second is there's lots and lots and lots of other services that help you to figure this stuff out. There's a bunch of organizations that you could call sort of business in a box. Mm -hmm. So collective.com helps people get a, I think they helped them with a sub S or an LLC. They help them to get a bank account. They help them to figure out how to set up their QuickBooks, you know, all that stuff, right? And, and, and other organizations do this. HoneyBook does that for lots of people. Wethos does that for lots of people. And there are many more individual or vertical solutions to that. So for example, um, Lifter Run is a business in a box for fitness people who have a particular interest in lifting and weightlifting. And you know, they've got five or 600 folks in it and it works very nicely and they do a nice job. So there's all sorts of different ways that people can get some of the initial education that they need. The problem is that, that you know, it, just can't stop after you sort of set up because you got to get better you got to get smarter you got to figure out how to do these things you've got to you've got to understand your finances not just know how to input numbers in a quickbooks you've got to do all the things that help you to run a business and and what i'd like to suggest sarah as as um as kind of naive as it might be but i don't think it's naive is i'd like to create a central utility that brings the best of the best best practices together, shares them and makes them available at low cost to any size organization. I mean, why say it's only for platforms? I mean, it could just be as simple as your organization. And you could figure, I mean, they sort of figure out how to do that in terms of you know, ownership, in terms of uh, what a subscription cost would be, in terms, I mean, all those things. But, but a long time ago, I, I did some really interesting work with Sony in Latin America. Now, Sony is a Japanese company, as you, you know, and Latin America was a consultant. And Latin America 
had brought together sort of the heads of businesses in each of the many Central and Latin American countries. And, and they were talking about the difficulty of getting something done. And this gentleman who was their senior vice president, the head of Latin America, and, the, and very modest in his delivery, a Japanese gentleman, said, it couldn't be harder than putting a man on the moon. Well, I still remember that. And there are so many things that people see as difficult to which my response is it couldn't be harder than putting a man on the moon. And so as an example, I'm, a, I'm a, 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 an expert in residence at something called open assembly. Open assembly is sort of a, a community of entrepreneurs, thought leaders, academics, stuff like that in this large space kind of globally. I, I think the folks that run o Open Assembly could be a terrific utility for that kind of a thing where, where we, we sort of, and I don't know whether they're even, I, I, I'm talking out of school a little bit and maybe trying to, to influence a little bit too, I don't know. But, you know, it would make sense for us to be able to, to sort of take the best, let's put some science around it because so much of this stuff is one step past what I think is correct or what worked for me. So you've got this ton of autobiographical training stuff, but you know, you're not the same as me. So what worked for me may not work for you and vice versa. So let's get some science around it and then let's make it available quite broadly because at the end of the day, uh, this is the rising tide that lifts all boats. And we have to think of it in those terms. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, um... I think that's really smart. And I want, I guess one more, one more question too about, which is, sorry, this might be like taking us a little bit, this might be taking us a little bit back to the beginning, but um, what you were just saying kind of triggered this for me is we're thinking about, and like, depending on the platform, when we're thinking about platforms and like who their primary client is, a platform like Upwork, their primary client are the clients, not necessarily the freelancer. Um, and I mean, a little bit of both, but um, what, in the beginning, when you were thinking, when you were talking about, I think it was the findings from your, from the um, global survey on freelancing about teaching clients how to be better clients. What do you see as the role of platforms in teaching clients to be better clients, as opposed to just teaching freelancers to be better freelancers? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing is, you don't, you know, what's the... What's the Hippocrates thing? First, do no harm. You know, uh, so I think I think the first thing is, don't put your freelancers in a bad client. I mean, it, it kind of seems logical, doesn't it? You know, I mean, if you know the clients, kind of kind of takes advantage, changes scope, tries to short the payment, uh, you know, asks for lots of freebies, tries to renegotiate the rate in the middle. You know, or 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 say, well, we're going to put it down now, but we're going to pick it up in a year, and I want the same guy, and I want the same rate, and all that stuff. Let's let's not accept bad behavior. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, let's collect data over time as we work with different clients, so that we know, hmm. because there are telltale signs. You know, Leia, and you. I'm sorry. I I have two nieces named Leah, so I tend to say Leah, not Leah. I apologize. Totally fine. Not a problem at all. And I adore them. And I adore them. But I mean, you know, Leah, and you know, Sarah, that 
you can you can smell when something is going to be problematic. You've been around long enough to know this is a bad situation and it's not going to get better. Well, let's 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 turn that into real knowledge at at scale. Because platforms or communities or agencies etc let's move beyond you know i know this guy is a pain in the neck but to let's sit down with that person before we give them another freelancer and say or that company and say here are the kinds of issues that we've heard from prior work done with your company and and you you want to renegotiate you 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 keep changing your mind on who's a good person, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We can't run a business that way. You, you, you need to understand this isn't a service business. This is a product business. We're here to give you an outcome. We're not here to kiss you. And so you gotta you gotta really understand how this works. And that's the second thing that I hope that platforms will do. Third, I. I I think that platforms need to intervene more and communities need to intervene when there's a problem, as opposed mm -hmm. to saying to the freelancer, work it out because we want the revenue. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I do think there's a kind of a no-fly zone, you know, no-fly rule for some clients that are just really bad. And there are some clients that are just not great. This, the last thing I would say is um, over time, we, we should share those data. I think they need to be shared responsibly. I think they need to be shared carefully. But at the end of the day, I, I, I want clients to be better clients. And that leads to the last thing, which is if, if I were to give you the next business that you might consider, Leah and Sarah, it's training small businesses on how to be a partner with their freelancer. Because mm -hmm. we've got data that says there are some very specific areas where that people aren't doing a good, where clients aren't doing a good job, yeah. and that is being clear about the scope, managing managing these guys with respect or ladies with respect, making sure the project managers know how to work with freelancers who are not employees, not subordinate. Mm -hmm. Not on call all the time. Not on call all the time. Yep. Uh, knowing that that there's some stuff that the freelancer may not be able to do, but you've got to treat them as a member of the team during the time that they're there. You know, don't keep them at arm's length. Don't say you can't be part of this communication or that communication, which is vital to the project. Mm -hmm. so really, sort of basic stuff around that. But you know, we created in the survey as you've read the document you know that we created a, a, a 10 item index where platforms or communities can use that and say, you know, let's rank the client. We did need to do a better job and a more consistent job of ranking our clients in order to make them better clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, we, Lee and I have both definitely worked with clients that know how to work with freelancers and clients that don't. Um, <laughs> so I, think, um, I like, I really like the idea of um, systematizing it though a bit more. So it's not just like here are the five, I mean, like, I think you could, you could pull like a million blogs out of the internet that are like, here are the red flags um, that you, that you should watch out for with every client. I've written some of those blogs myself. 
And um, I think the, but like looking at what those trends are across, and I think the index is a, is a powerful tool for that to be able to um, systematize it a little bit more. You'll figure um, that hack. I, <laughs> I'd love to. Um, I know we're out of time and I actually have to, you know, jump on a client call, <laughs> get back to my, my day job. Um, but this has been such a pleasure, John. We really appreciate you joining us um, and you, sharing Thank all you, of your Thank knowledge. You so much. Oh, my pleasure. Take all care, right. guys. All right. Thank you all so right. much. Have a Thank good rest you. of your day. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Freelance Revolution podcast. If you haven't already, make sure to check out our free community for freelancers, consultants, and solopreneurs called Freelancers Aligned. Go to www.freelancersaligned.com to sign up. Here are just a few of the things that you get with your free membership. You'll get all of our best resources, strategies, tips, and tools for living the freelance lifestyle. You'll get exclusive access to our monthly live Q&A where you can submit questions that we'll answer live just for you. You'll get a subscription to the Freelance Insider where you'll get tricks of the trade, member-only resources, and curated content from other experts. You'll also get access to the member forum where you can network and connect and ask advice from other solopreneurs who actually understand what you do and are going through the exact same things you are. Did I mention it's free? Go to www.freelancersaligned.com to sign up today.